Good morning. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. And as you find your seats again, we'll have time afterwards for fellowship and to have some good coffee or tea and uh, catch up in one another's lives. Again, um, glad that you're with us this morning as we worship. Uh, as John mentioned, who led us in worship this morning, we are in the midst of our fruit. <clears throat> uh, we're in the midst of our Fruit of the Spirit uh, sermon series. And we looked at love, joy, peace. And this morning, we're looking at a good one. We're looking at patience. And then we can all relate to the struggle that is real of what patience looks like. And, and I, as I had been reading through some commentaries, one of them actually I thought was a good sort of way to uh, sort of think through these different aspects of the fruit. And he said, the first three, which we've looked at, love, joy, peace, are actually about cultivating contentment. It's more like the, the heavenly spirit or the heavenly fruit. But as we look at the next three, which are patience, kindness, goodness, they're about cultivating resilience. It's about grit. These aren't the heavenly fruits, but rather it's about the earthly, gritty, real, and raw fruit that we wrestle with and we desire to ripen and mature in our walk with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at patience. So I'm going to invite Angela Adams to come and um, read the passage for us. So turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're using that, you'll turn to page 1013. 1013 of the church Bibles. And uh, we're going to look at we're going to look at James 5 verses 7 through 11. So let's give attention to God's word as Angela reads this for us. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks Angela. Pray with me. Our heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we know all of us uh, wrestle with patience whether we're 10 years old, over 40 or 70. Lord, this is truly something that must come from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would not only um, encourage us, but, Lord, you would actually enable us to be people of patience this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I, Hannah, just celebrated our 19th anniversary last week. And so it was just a really sweet time to be able to reflect on the last year and really the last 19 years of getting married and living here in St. Louis. But it wasn't all just roses, right? It didn't begin that way in our relationship. Many, many years ago, uh, I asked her out on a date, and she said no. <laughs> no girl had ever rejected me up to that point. And I was dumbfounded and shocked, flabbergasted, and so I knew that she must be the one. And so for the next eight months, with patient endurance, I waited. I tried to convince her and why I should be the guy that she dates. And for eight long months, it was long. It was arduous. It was so difficult and painstaking. Every day felt like a year, if not longer. And by the eighth month, she finally said yes. And the reason she started dating me was because before then she had only seen me as a little brother, 
Ouch. I'd known her for a long time and I'm younger than her. And so she thought I was this little kid and she couldn't see herself dating her. But the bigger thing was actually that she wanted to go to, uh, become a missionary in Southeast Asia. And I had no desire for that. And I felt called to be a pastor in a local church in the States. And so that really conflicted with her. And as I look back at those years, that patience wasn't me convincing her, me showing off my good looks and putting perfume on or perfume cologne on every day. But it was the Lord that was at work in her to be able to see what other possibilities that it could be that it might not have to be Southeast Asia, but that she could still serve God in another way. Patience is hard, right? None of us will argue with the fact that patience is so difficult. Waiting is one of the most difficult things to do. And we expect things right away. And that is our cultural moment, right? I can't, I still don't understand how I can rent a movie that's 4K and immediately begin to watch it and it never buffers, <laughs> right? The fact that I could order something on Amazon at midnight and at 7 a.m. in the morning, if I've spent $25 or more, <laughs> I get it at 7 a.m. We can order groceries, and within two hours, it's at our front door. My kids, more than they should, order from restaurants and pay double the price because it's quicker to get it from whatever service delivery on their app than it is to drive and go to a restaurant and wait for the food because it's much more convenient. We think about AI and the way that that has come into our lives. The fact that as we think about the annex and we think about our office space and whatnot, it's so much easier to ask AI to put a design together that's so-and-so tall with minimalistic look, with a modern uh, flair. And it'll immediately give it to you rather than having to hire some design consultant who'll come in and make all the specs and tell you exactly what you need. That takes so many months. We have everything at our disposal with a click and a swipe. And that cultural moment for us has caused us to make it even harder to wait and be patient. You would actually think that in our cultural moment, with the ease... And with the speed and the convenience that we have, it would actually give us more time to slow down, to enjoy the relationships that we have, to be able to smell the roses and not go from point A to point B to point C so hurriedly. But yet that's not the case, right? With the speed. And with advent of technology and AI, it's only caused all the other areas of our lives that we thought might give us more time, actually give us less time because we have to be more efficient. We have to do more things. Work demands more because we have access to emails and Slack and whatnot. You see, it's just this perpetual hurried life that we live. And because of that, when we're asked to be patient, we struggle to be people of patience. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he talks about what waiting looks like for followers of Jesus. And he compares it to pilgrims and to tourists. And I think this will hit home for a lot of us. This is what he says. He says, tourists 
experience life as a series of quick and efficient trips from one attraction to the next. They move rapidly, always in a rush, frantic and hurried. Pilgrims, on the other hand, see life as one long journey towards a singular end. They know that no one place on their way is the final destination. Therefore, they feel no urgency to move from one to the next. Tourists want to experience as much as possible, as quickly as possible. What matters most is how much and how fast. Pilgrims, on the other hand, want to experience the entire journey as fully and deeply as possible, knowing each experience is but a single word in a grander story. Man, you want to be a tourist or do you want to be a pilgrim? This morning, as we briefly look at this fruit of patience, I think the Lord desires us to be pilgrims. And the beautiful reminder, if we looked at, if you remember from the introduction, introductory sermon, the fruit is within us. As followers of Jesus, the Spirit is living in us. And because the Spirit is in us, we have the fruit of patience. And our desire is to tend to it, to water it, to grow it, so that we might be people who truly know and understand and live out this long, enduring patience with whomever we come in contact with, even ourselves. So let's look at three things briefly here. First is patience defined. Secondly, patience tested. And then lastly, we're going to look at this aspect of patience practiced. So first, patience defined. The word literally that is used for patience is this word long-tempered or long-angered. In other words, it, it could be translated as long-suffering, or for better for us, it's probably forbearance, right? Forbearing one another in whatever we're going through. The definition that one scholar says is, it's the ability to endure for a long time whatever opposition and suffering may come our way, and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge. I think when we think of the word patience, what do we think of? We think of uh, just holding it in. Now I'm going to give you Duolingo here for a second, but there's a Korean word that I always heard growing up for patience. It's chama. Chama. And what that means is just like hold it as long as you can, right? And just just wait. And it's it's this passivity of just just waiting and holding it. And what I realized in in growing up is in my emotional in, in my emotional immaturity is that all I did was chama or just just wait passively, and then I just blow up and just get angry because I couldn't hold it anymore. And I think what we see here with this biblical definition of patience is this long suffering, a forbearance that is not passive but active. So for example, when you choose to forgive people rather than hold a grudge against them is long suffering. It's when you choose to overlook something that was hurtful or unkind rather than fighting back with harsh words or making sure you get even with the one you did wrong to. It's when you learn to be patient with others mainly because you are very well of your own inadequacies and shortcomings. It means you remember that other people are probably also having to forbear with you. You see, it's an active decision. It's not passive. It's this long suffering 
of loving, of forgiving, of being patient, understanding your faults and your inadequacies, inadequacies so that we might be able to, be, to live a life of patience. Just this, well, I'll get there later. But I think one of the things that we see that in, and clearly even with the call to worship, was that God was slow to anger. He was not short in his temper. But we see in, in even how he revealed himself. What does he say? He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We are able to confess our sin because of God's forbearance. His long-suffering, his forbearance, his long-endurance and patience so that we might come around to see our sin, to see our brokenness, and confess. And then to experience the grace of God and His mercy and forgiveness for you and for me. And because of His forbearance for us and His patience, we can do that for others as well. And don't we see that in Jesus? The declaration that God is slow to anger and abounding in love became flesh for us. He took on a mortal body. And he suffered. He waited patiently when his disciples were the dumbest people in the world. He's like, do you not understand? How many times did he say that to the disciples? Yet in his patience, even when his own creation didn't get it, what did he do? He went to the cross and died, sacrificed himself for the good of us, for the good of creation and for the glory to his Father. This patient endurance that Jesus went through now lives and resides in you and me. This is the patience defined. And so patience, if you think about that, in this aspects of who God is and who Jesus came to be, patience is born out of a security in, and trust that God is actually faithful. Why we're impatient is then because we lack a trust and a security in what God is doing in you and in this world. And what happens? We get angry. We become irritated. We become frustrated. And we lose our patience. But if we look to a God who is slow to anger, who showed his patience to us, who suffered and died for us because of his love for us, then we're able to be patient because of who God is in his character and his actions and his life. That's patience defined. But let's look at patience tested then. I think there's three brief areas of where we're tested in that this passage shows us. First, patience is tested in your life. And this is beautifully illustrated through the, the, through the farmer that James talks about. It's this agrarian image for us to actually hold on to, right? What does he say? He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Meaning, there's a purpose in your life through whatever you are waiting for. There's a purpose to our patience. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. Like the farmer that is waiting patiently for the early and the late rains, it produces what? 
It produces a harvest. It produces a fruit in your life through the patient waiting and enduring and the long suffering that you are going through and experiencing. It's not pointless. There's a purpose as you wait, and, and it's not easy. It's easier said than done. But do you believe there's actually a purpose for why we patiently endure? Paul Tripp, in his book, says this. He says, The biblical view of patience is not just that it is a meaningless moment where I have to sit around waiting for the good stuff to happen. There is a radical transformation taking place in the midst of the wait. Waiting is not just about what you will get at the end of the wait, but waiting is about what you will become as you wait. You see, it is purposeful. As you are tested with patience, there is a harvest and a fruit that is born out of your waiting. But secondly, in your relationships, Paul or James says, what does he say? He says, In verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We, We all can relate to this, right? The people that frustrate you. The people that you disagree with. Let's, let, let me just remind you if, you, if, you, if you, don't, you don't even have to be reminded, but we are in election season. We are in an election year where what brings us together is what we hate about the other. What unites us isn't what we love and what we believe, but rather it's what we disagree with. And as we think about that in this political climate, as we think about our cancel culture, as we think about race relations, as we think about so many aspects, maybe even just your marriages, your dating relationships, your family members, what we see James allude to isn't the people that frustrate you, but he's addressing us who are being frustrated. And he says, do not grumble. Do not complain. Because we are called to forbear, to be patient, to endure, and practice mercy. Now, if there's boundaries that need to be made, yes, uh, of course. And seek guidance in that, in those that might abuse you or hurt you. Yet, there's still a forbearance that God calls us to. I met a person in our neighborhood just this past week. And this husband is going through a lot. And as we talked about their marriage, one of the things I mentioned was forbearance. Forbearance in the sense of not bringing up the past in their marriage. Forbearance to be able to understand their own family of origin story. That his spouse lacks the ability to do so and so things to be able to have a healthy, flourishing marriage. What does it look like to patiently endure to, with those who frustrate you, irritate you, get you so angry? There's a call here to forbear as followers of Jesus. But thirdly, the thing we see here in patience tested is in your suffering. In your suffering. James uses this illustration of the prophets and of Job. Now, just a couple days ago, we began looking or reading in our Bible reading plan, Job, right? Job 1 on Friday, Job 2 yesterday. Today, you'll read Job 3. 
But you see a man who suffered. He had everything. And in a blink of an eye, what happens? He loses his health. He loses his economic prosperity. He loses his family. He loses everything. And his friends are the worst. They say, you need, to, you need to repent because you did something wrong, and that's why you're experiencing all this suffering. And his wife, right? Not all wives are like this. But his wife says, curse God and kill yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like, thanks. I mean, he endured for so many years of suffering. And even in his own patient endurance, what happens? He begins to complain to God and says, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing these things? And he brings his complaints to God. And at the end of all of this, we see him restored. And what happens? He is changed. He's not only restored financially, physically, relationally, but he's restored spiritually in his walk with the Lord because he understands that God is God. You see, in the midst of our suffering, we are called to patiently endure. And I think one of the most fascinating things about suffering is that when we experience suffering, what happens in the midst of our efficiency and wanting to move quickly and from one thing to the next? You stop, don't you? Suffering forces you to slow down. It immediately begs the questions of, of, of why I'm going through the suffering, of begs the questions of who is God. And you begin to have to deal with the questions of life rather than skirt the questions of life. I remember just a couple weeks ago, I did not want all our Christmas decorations to be up uh, into February. And so it was my day off, no one was home, I was kind of frustrated that here am I doing it all by myself, right? And there's a lot of Christmas decorations in our house. And so I was starting to do all of it, and I'm getting angrier and more upset and more irritated as I cleaned up and took it all to the basement and into our Christmas closet. And as I was doing it, trying to do it as fast as I can, grumbling, angry, I did not know that there was this beautiful, and my wife doesn't even know this yet, <laughs> there's this Christmas plate that I did not know was right by me on a shelf, and I knocked it with my elbow, and it came crashing down onto the tile floor, and it just went into smithereens. And in that moment where I was angry, frustrated, wanting to just hurry up and move on to the next thing, it immediately forced me to stop. It made me have to think about how to clean this up so that none of the kids get injured. Begin with the larger pieces. Wet a bunch of paper towels, I mean a bunch, right? And, and, and pick up all the little tiny pieces that you can't see. And then finally go through with the vacuum, vacuum. And in doing that, my anger dissipated. I was able to just slow down on my Thursday, on my day off. And I actually enjoyed cleaning up what was broken. Suffering does that. Now, it's not easy, right? None of us long for it. But the suffering causes us to stop and wait and look to the Lord and ask why. And to look to the Lord and see his faithfulness and his character. Patience tested in your life, in your relationships, in your suffering. 
But lastly, as we look at this last aspect of patience practice, it has to happen together. We have to do it as a community. And here, what's so beautiful about our church is we have people of different colors, of different ethnicities, of different stages of life. Kathy King, an author, looking at this fruit, actually helped me see such a beautiful part of the complexities of cultural differences. Now, as a Korean American, you know how patience, and I alluded a little bit, but patience was emphasized with long-suffering without complaint, right? Chama, you just hold it in. And so as long as your family or your community, your church community was doing well or your family was doing well, individual complaints had to be held in. You never, ever share the suffering or the wrongdoings going on in your life because everything is well. You do not disturb the peace of the family or the community because the larger is more important than yourself. So how would you know if something was broken or people were suffering? You didn't. That was what patience was. And I would argue, yes, there's something good about that, but there's also something horrible about that. And then you think about our white Americans who were raised to understand that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And while we might see someone loudly expressing their complaints and their sufferings as impatient and demanding, the person who is crying out is seeing this as a normal and appropriate assertion of their experience. And so what you begin to see is that we need one another, don't we? Our blind spots of what we think patience is might be actually unhealthy. When we first started as just a Korean American church, we never knew about all the marriage problems or financial problems. Why? Because you held it in. Suffer long. Endure. Don't complain. But as we become more multicultural, I think one of the beautiful things that I personally experience is that, no, that's actually unhealthy. Yes, we endure, but there's a beautiful part of being able to acknowledge your brokenness and to share that with others so that we might together endure and be patient. I think about for our black brothers and sisters and all that they've heard throughout their story is be patient, right? Be patient for the next election. Slavery was outlawed many years ago. Why are you still complaining? So much has changed. That's so much better. Be patient. Why are you complaining? It sends such a, such a harsh and problematic and hurtful narrative to say that's what patience looks like. Or to those who are experiencing abuse in their home abusive relationships and we what do we say as the church has said for many decades be patient you're called to endure because you are married to that spouse so stay in it for the glory of god now we need to practice what patience looks like biblically together because patience isn't long suffering that is silent where families and systems and cultures break down no Patience is so that we might actually experience the flourishing of a community and a family and of individuals. That's what patience looks like as we practice this together.
as I close, I read a story about pearls. My son told me about a year ago that pearl necklaces should be worn by guys now because that's like in. And I was like, you're crazy, man. Like, what? And then Justin Timberlake was wearing a pearl necklace on Saturday Night Live when he performed. I was like, okay, Stephen had a point. Anyway, my point here is pearl necklaces, how do they come to be? Well, oysters, right? Oysters, as they feed and as they eat, sometimes an irritant, a tiny little irritant will get into the shell. And that irritant is so bothersome that they try to flush it out of their system, but sometimes it gets stuck in there. And what do oysters do? They secrete this little substance that coats that irritant, like a grain of sand, and coats it and continues to coat it for many, many years, maybe sometimes up to 20 years. And what happens? It becomes a beautiful pearl that is worth hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars. Brothers and sisters, do you see what I'm sharing here? A pearl is the fruit of a frustrated oyster. Right? In other words, we are called in the midst of the irritants and the suffering that we endure. God is calling us to patiently endure, to suffer long, and to forbear so that God may, might make us a beautiful oyster. Maybe not in this life, right? But we know that the Lord has promised that we will become as He desires when He arrives again, when the coming of the Lord is at hand, as James says in this passage. So believe that. Wait upon the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You we thank you that in the midst of this broken world where there are many irritants, not just little grains of sand, but death, cancer, broken relationships, abusive relationships, Lord, you call us not only to endure, but you are our endurance. You give us yourself so that we might be able to patiently endure. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, feed us, strengthen us, so that we might be able to just this week wherever you call us to, to be able to patiently endure for the sake of not only of your glory, but for our good and for good of this world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.